This is episode 191 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing Women's Camp 2016. This is a workshop titled Courageous, Gracious, and Deliberate Discipleship with Taylor Turkington. Just because we so love welcoming women to come to our conferences to talk more about how to teach the scripture well. And that might be in discipleship, it might be in a Bible study, or it might be in a large group context. So our next conference is actually October, coming up quickly, October 7th and 8th. We're flying with Mary Wilson, who's a fantastic teacher, a Bible teacher. We have a bunch of workshops there as well. If you want to go to marysfellowship.org, you'll find out there's my shameless plug. Okay, I think you'll enjoy it. I am generally a woman that has a terrible memory. Many of you can probably tell me exactly where you met your best friend, what color of shirt she was wearing, where you sat, what you talked about. I don't have a good memory. I can't tell you usually where I met someone or let alone what they were wearing. But I do remember the first time I met Tammy. Tammy was a woman who I had met at a workshop where we were talking about how to share the gospel. We'd interacted, and she asked me to meet up. I remember walking the steps of the Memorial Union in Oregon State, and I sat down at a small cafe table and waited, kind of nervous, knowing that she was going to come. And she walked up in her perfect outfit with a red top and her long blonde hair, and she sat down. I remember how she leaned across the table towards me, and the way that she talked about me like she cared about me. I remember as we began to talk about life and, and God and faith and mostly just me, how I felt like she cared and wanted to help me move forward intentionally in a manner that I've never experienced before. Tammy was intentional with loving me and influencing me courageously and graciously in such a way that over the next two years, it actually had a huge impact on my life. Tammy made disciples of Jesus by making a disciple of me. She was someone who was courageous with telling me the truth and gracious with me when I wanted it black and white and it always isn't always that way. And she was deliberate with me, showing me that what grace looked like, and while also never making me feel like I was a project. She was someone who prepared me to follow Jesus in whatever the next faith steps were. Whatever God had for me, she helped me take that next step. And it sounds silly, but looking back, I think I would be in a vastly different place in life if I hadn't met and interacted with Tammy. Coming out of college, the Lord called me to the mission field where I moved overseas. And after that, I came back and went to seminary and then worked for the church for six years and now I'm leading a teaching ministry. And that's not everyone's story, but honestly, I don't think I would have made those decisions and stepped out in faith to follow Jesus where he called me to go if I didn't have Tammy in my life for two years while I was in college. This is a taste of what it looks like, I think, when we decide to follow Jesus, to take those steps and make disciples. There's lasting influence that changes people's direction, that helps them take the steps of faith. When Jesus came, he lived the mission of God before us. He showed us what it was like as God pursued people. He showed us in flesh and blood as he pursued his disciples, and then he invited people into that same mission. He was a man that was intentional about other people. He lived the life that we could never live. He died the death that we deserve to die. He rose again in power. And you and I will never die for anyone else's sins. But we do follow his example. We do look around at other people and realize, God is calling me to engage with them as well. Because Jesus was intentional to love and influence and teach. And he was a man who was making disciples who were making disciples. That was the plan. Just like she was quoting with Robert Coleman from Master Plan of Evangelism, and I was thinking, yes, it's a great book. Same thing I was thinking, that there was no plan B, he says. His plan was the disciples that Jesus made. So in the same way, we are the plan of God. The mission for making disciples is us. All disciples of Jesus are disciples makers. 
This is the marching order. So in case we didn't catch it from his example, he commands it really clearly. Even as she was talking about the command, the great commission, go and make disciples. Baptizing them, which means we walk alongside people as they come to decision to follow Jesus, and teaching them all that I've commanded you. Which means we help them grow, we help them see how the gospel affects every piece of their life. And then Jesus just commanded them to make disciples, so we also teach people to make disciples, right? It's this multiplication that goes forward on and on, and this is what we're called to do. So some of us hear this and we think, yes, I'm in, let's do it. And there's other of us that hear this and we say, oh no, this is rather terrifying. What's beautiful is that none of this is by our own strength. To those of us who are like, I got this, the gospel of grace tells us it is by what Jesus has done that transforms you and his strength and power that empowers you. To those of us who are scared, he says, I am sending you and I am with you to the end of the age. That's how he ends the great commission. Because those first disciples walked away from Jesus as he ascended and the Holy Spirit came upon them in power and sent them out and the same Holy Spirit dwells in us. And he is just as powerful today as he was back then. So we walk into this mission with hope, knowing that as the gospel has changed us, we know it can change these other people around us, and we are welcome into this plan. Because it's still transforming us each day. And so we are part of this as other people are being transformed. Isn't that crazy? That as we're being transformed and other people around us are, that we're involved in that, and it's messy. But it's good, and this is where we go. So we think, okay, I'm, I'm in. I, I can do this. So where do I start? That's what we're going to be talking about. Where do we start when we think about making disciples? It's rarely something as simple as we tell God, okay, I'm willing to do this, God. Would you line up people to help me do that? Or just have people knock on my door, and I will talk to them about this one topic that I feel comfortable with. Oh, it's rarely that way. It's much more often that we are sitting next to a woman in church, or we have someone over for lunch, or we're on a walk with someone, and we remember the call to make disciples, and we realize that the place we start is with the woman right in front of us. That this person that we know, how do we engage with her? How do we walk with her? Where is she at in her spiritual journey? What is going on with her? What is God doing here? Because that is where we are called into. That is where we begin. So when we talk about discipleship, there's so much we can talk about. I teach a 20-week class on discipleship, and so then you ask me to teach for an hour, and I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> so we are skimming over the top. We're going to talk about some ways to get start started and just touch on different things. We could spend hours in the scriptures looking at how, how this plays out in the life of Jesus and Paul, but instead we're just going to kind of brainstorm together about ways to get started and ways to step forward. And one way that I think that we can do that is to look briefly at the life of Jesus. Would you guys look at, turn to John chapter 13. This is a little bit of our foundation. Because we see Jesus in this pattern with his disciples consistently being a man who looks at them and loves them and influences them and teaches them. And I think that is going to be the pattern for us this morning. She was teasing that it's get lit, love, and influence teaching. One of the college students that I taught came up with that. I think that's probably not the best way to remember it. It has other connotations. But, but it might help you. So in John chapter 13, I am not there. Here we go. It's the end of Jesus' life. We have the beginning of chapter 13. We begin to see that Jesus knows exactly he knows exactly where he's going to the cross. He knows who is going to betray him. And he is completely understanding of his identity and what he's been called to do. And all about the most important thing in his life, in his heart at that moment, was to love his disciples. So how does he love them? You guys remember this story. It's almost as if time slows down for John in the way he writes about it. Verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, here's slow-mo. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. 
Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came around. He begins to literally get practically naked and wraps a towel around him and washes their feet in an act of service and love that likely none of the men in the room would have ever have done. This was below any of those people. Generally, foot washing was only done by servants and usually only Gentiles, and even among the Gentile groups, usually only women. So the bottom of the totem pole washed feet. And here, the God of the universe, the one that they called Christ, had done it to them to show them what love looked like. Their response was mixed. Peter, again, normal, right? He's like flipping out. I don't like this. I don't know what to do with you. Can we not do this? Which I can understand. And the other disciples, we don't know exactly what they're thinking, but I'm assuming that they're shock and confusion, and, and at the same time, great receiving of this love. It brought stability in the midst of a time when things were going to get crazy really quickly. And it was a picture of the love that was coming across very quickly. He was saying, this is how I love you. I love you by sacrifice. We read just a little bit farther on, and in verse 12, Do you understand what I have done to you, Jesus says? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I, then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Here's his influence. He says, Do you see what I do? I want you to do what I do. Follow my example. Even later in the chapter, verse 34, he says, I've given you this new commandment, love as I have loved you. Do what I do. That's his influence coming through in that. And then we move into, we're going to look at the rest of these chapters, chapters 14, 15, 16. Jesus then teaches. He teaches the basics that they're going to need to know because he is leaving them. He teaches them about the Holy Spirit. He teaches them about community. He teaches them about abiding in Christ. He teaches them about obedience. He teaches them about heaven. These are truths that you need to know. And this is a pattern, I think, that we should look to for our discipleship. We think about the fact that Jesus loved and he influenced. I don't have teacher handwriting. I'm sorry. Just stick with it. And we teach just like him. What are we going to do? But this is what we see in Jesus' example. We can spend so much time digging it out here, but I think this is where we're going to start. This is where we go in the same way. So as these disciples are sitting there, we start with love. Man, they have felt so loved and cared for by Jesus as he's washed their feet, but also in the past, too. He has shown love to them in so many ways. Have you guys ever felt that loved by someone, by a woman or a man in your life who was pouring into you spiritually? Where all of a sudden maybe life had been a crazy whirlwind, but stability was brought because someone loved you sacrificially and intentionally, courageously even? And I've been loved by that when my life was shaking and someone came in and all of a sudden I knew how to, who to trust because of the way she loved me. How, how are other ways that Jesus showed love to his disciples through their life? It doesn't have to be complicated. How, what are other ways that Jesus showed love to his disciples through his life? Go ahead. He fed them. He fed them, yes. He met their needs, their physical needs. Great, what else? Patience. Can you say that again? Patience. Yeah, he was patient with them. Yes. Yes. He was available to them. He listened. Yes. Yeah. He listened. Great. What else? Pray for them. Yes, that's huge. What were you going to say? He was authentic. He was real with them. Authentic. Prayed. Great. What else? He what? Cared. Cared for them? 
Yes, he, he showed that he cared for them, engaged with them. Even I think about how he probably personally knew the details of their lives. Even though we don't see all of that, we see little tastes once in a while where it's like, oh, he knows that person. And we see that even with Paul and his disciples, the, the intimacy of knowing their families and knowing their backgrounds cares for them. And I think when we then think about this, and we see Jesus' example, loving, doing these things as actions, then how do we then love people that we are wanting to pour into, people that we want to disciple? How do we show them love? Same way. Same way. Give me some examples, practical examples. Yeah, we listen, we pray for them. Good. What else? We what? Feeds you. Yes, that is great. That is huge. Bringing meals when they need it, or just bringing them into your home and feeding them, letting them be available so they see your, what your life is like. What else? Listen. Yes, you guys are reading my notes. Okay. Yeah, time. Time with them, engaging with them. Sometimes that, I think that really often means that we initiate with them. Jesus initiated often. With people, if you read through, you watch. You watch. Even I love. I just read the story of a Samaritan woman with a woman recently who doesn't know Jesus. I've been reading through it and realizing, do you see how Jesus initiates over and over again? He like moves towards her. Man, that's courageous. Like we get awkward sometimes. We're like, uh, yeah, but we move towards people. Okay, what else? Yeah, we accept their weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus set an example for them, yeah. And so when we think about us doing it for disciples, we set an example. We're going to talk about that more when we get to influence. Definitely. I think that we write them notes that if they need work on their car, we take their car to get work done. If they need help with their children, we help them with their children. We are intentional. I bring people flowers sometimes. A friend teases me, it's like you're trying to get a date. And I'm like, no, not really. I'm just, I'm just trying to show you love. And we joke that way. But in some ways, we're pursuing people to show them what love looks like. Because some people have not been loved well. And they do not know what love looks like. So we start with love. Yeah, what? To encourage them. Definitely. Yes. And many times as we're doing this, we're recognizing that we are not looking for people to whom we will be important. Rather, we are looking for people who will be important to us. Does that make sense? That rocks me when someone first told me that. We're not looking for people to whom I will be important to them, but that they will be important to me as I love and pour my life into them. So much so that we begin to share ourselves with them. Just as Paul said, being so affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you've become so dear to us, he says in First Thessalonians 2. This is where we practice the one another so tangibly. Love one another, encourage one another, welcome one another. We intentionally, deliberately, courageously do these things. Because if we don't know anything about them, then love often just looks like interest, which is why we have to listen well. If we just, uh, like, I just care about this person, but I don't know anything about her, that's probably not real love. So we, you guys talked early on, you hit listen quickly, because we do need to listen when we think about love. So when we think about listening, we don't want to only listen about things that are um, maybe superficial. We also want to listen about things that move into the spiritual realm. So how do we move conversations there? Often when I'm talking with a gal, I'll talk about, I'll just really directly to ask her about her spiritual background. But what has it been like for her? What did she learn from her parents? What did she learn in, in church? Did she ever go to any church or temple or anything? And, and was it a positive or negative experience growing up? Because I will tell you that as often as I've asked that question, which is probably in the hundreds, 50% of the time it is a negative experience growing up. And I really want to hear that before I make assumptions about what her experience was or what happened with her. I ask her about um, what, what she believes about God or which, what kind of legacy she wants to live. What's the most important thing for her to accomplish in her life? These reveal what's going on in her heart. Often, I'll ask her if she's at church or if she says that she's a Christian, we'll ask her questions about 
What is something that God's been teaching you recently? Or God has been teaching me this recently. What would you think about that? As we are vulnerable first, we open ourselves up in that vulnerability appropriately. We ask about marriage and children and all of these things and disappointments. And even as we listen and even as people share with us, what we're doing is we're really wanting to understand deliberately where they're at in their spiritual journey. Because everyone is somewhere, and we need to be careful about what we assume people are doing in their lives. I think it's helpful for us to think a little bit in categories. That the scriptures make it very clear that there are two categories of people at the end of the age, right? At the end of the day, at the end of it all, there are two kinds of people. There are those that could put their faith in Jesus Christ, and those who have not. Yes, scripture is very clear on that. So I'm going to call those people seekers. Over here, they've yet to believe. But then over here, there's, a, there's kind of a continuum of growth at the same time. And I'm going to put some labels in here just because it helps us think about people's stages of growth. For those of you who like hate categories and boxes, just ignore this part, okay? But sometimes there's people who are young in their faith, and I'm going to call them a follower. Someone who has just come to know Jesus. Someone who is figuring out what it looks like. Who is God? And, 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 and what does it mean to follow him? Who is the church? What does it look like to confess my sin and, and community? And how do I read the Bible and, and pray? But in the follower category. This can last 20 years. People, people can, can be here and not grow by choice sometimes. But, but I also would say that there's another category called, I'll call it a grower. Someone who has moved beyond the basics of understanding, but then is figuring out what does it look like for the gospel to influence every part of her life. Like a worldview is beginning to form. And she realizes that the gospel affects every relationship. It affects her sexuality. It affects her education. It affects how she, how she makes decisions. It affects her dreams. It affects everything. And, and, and this is this kind of idea that's filtering into every piece, and she's growing into that. And then I'll call this last one a laborer. Someone who has recognized that this is what God is doing in the world and that God has called her to use her gifts in the kingdom. And she has her eyes up instead of at herself, but she's moved so that her eyes are up and out to see, Lord, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And these aren't always super clear because this person is still, hopefully, God really opened her mouth and sharing what she knows and sharing her faith. And so is this person, but this person has come to a stage where she's able, perhaps, to pour more into other people. And at the same time, I would actually call, kind of, there's this pit stop one that I'm calling wrestling. Because there's, and anyone at any stage can end up here, but a wrestling stage is where there's something that has happened in life where you cannot move forward until you deal with this boulder that's in front of your path. It might have been a traumatic experience. It might have been something you need to grieve. It may be a sin that you feel stuck in that you cannot move forward. But all of life, all of your relationship with God right now is consumed with this boulder right here. And that in those cases, we help this person by walking through dealing with that boulder with them before we move into other areas. Because it's got to move before we move into anything else. And the reason we talk about these categories is because how we love them, how we influence, how we teach them changes depending on where they're at. And I'll tell you that there are times when I'll be talking to someone who can articulate the gospel to me beautifully. But as I'm listening to her, I recognize that over the many conversations, she has never referenced that forgiveness of sin was for her. She has never applied the promises of grace to her own life, as we've talked. And I wonder if she's still here rather than here. I think it's really wise for us to not make assumptions about people, but rather listen well to what's really going on in their life. And if you're here today, I don't know all of you. You might be someone who knows your Bible really well. You might have been in church most of your life, or maybe you don't know the Bible well, and you don't really do church, but you came to camp. And if you would tell me that you are yet to put your faith in Jesus, I am so glad you're here. He has you here for a reason, 
And if you identify here, there are probably a hundred women that would love to talk to you about it. Maybe you talk to me about it. But there's a first step for you, which is to move to someone who follows him before we go anywhere else, before you think that you need to make disciples or do any of the other things that we've been talking about this weekend. Because the most important thing for you to know is that there's grace and hope in Jesus Christ for whatever has happened in your life. As we think about the other stages, there's often people who are, don't understand who the Trinity is. I, don't, I remember the first time Tammy sat me down and told me the Holy Spirit lived in me to empower me to live a holy life and to minister, and I was like, mind alone. What? No one told me the Holy Spirit lived in me. I don't know how I had like gone to church for all those years and I never figured that out. But that's, that was in the follower stage and figuring those things out. And I remember the right recognition of like growing and seeing how my worldview being formed by who Jesus is and how he changes everything. Recognizing that there's these like God even reveals my sin in stages to me. Isn't he gracious to do that? That he doesn't reveal all of my sin at once, but rather as I grow? Because today I can tell you about sin that I'm fighting, but a year ago I would have been like, oh, I don't do that. Are you kidding me? Oh, I totally did. But like, I didn't know it. And we see that as people are wrong. So often we need to listen to be able to see what's going on in these places. As we think about influence, Jesus lived his life in front of them. He lived his life out loud. He didn't do it all secluded, though which he did run away to a desolate place, but you notice that often he goes, runs away with a few disciples. But he let people into his life so they could see the way that he lived. And that is the way that we often do influence. I remember that there's times when people a few years ago would tease me. I was in a my, I call my scarf fashion stage, where I thought scarves were the best thing ever, and I wore them every day for a couple of years, no matter what the season was, I had a scarf on. And a couple of my, I was working at church, meeting with a lot of women at the time, and one of my co-workers began to tease me because he said he could figure out which women were meeting with Jesus, meeting with Jesus, meeting with Taylor, because they would start to wear scarves as well. <laughs> and then all of a sudden the scarf population rose in the church as I wore more and more scarves. And I'm like, what? There's something wrong with that. We go scarf shopping as we talk about Jesus. And it is actually scary how much people are following us. People are probably watching you way more closely than you are comfortable with, to be honest. We have great influence in people's lives. When we invite them in, when we say, follow Jesus as I follow him, like Paul did, when he says, follow the pattern that I follow, he said that to Timothy. So the same way we say that to people, and then they follow us, we should be intentional, courageous, and deliberate as we influence people. That means that we invite them into our life. When God calls us to serve, we bring them with us. When God calls us to step out into a new action of faith, we bring them with us. When we decide that we're going to meet with a group of young moms so that we can share the gospel with a few of them, we bring our friend with us. When we go on a coffee date, when we have planted seeds so that we can lay out our testimony about the good news of Jesus, we bring our friend with us. She's a teammate, she's a partner, and she's learning from you. It means that you're open about your sin with her. Means you talk about appropriately when God convicts you, when He opens your eyes to the way you trust in yourself instead of Jesus this week. When He shows that you've actually been stuck in something that you didn't recognize, but you need to turn away from. Your passionate obedience will be caught and not taught. The things that will stick with the women that you're discipling are your example of when you say, Jesus is better than anything this world can offer me. He is better than any of the sin that I'm tempted by. And when you live that out passionately, showing that his grace is worth everything, man, that will take hold because of what she saw in you. That he really is the most precious thing. Because for Jesus, there weren't Topics that were off the table, right? He talked about sin and family issues and pain and sickness and lust and fantasy and secrets. 
He was all on the table. He talked about that. That none of us are perfect, that we that discipleship is messy life on messy life, right? That's what it looks like. And that we reveal that around us, that they see it, and they recognize that we all need the grace of God together. I remember clearly when Tammy took me for a walk. Um, I remember she didn't have much time, and so I was so honored that she like fit me in their schedule. She was so intentional to help me understand that I was a friend and not a project in her life. But as we walked, she began to share with me. She was um, a good number of years older than me, and she was still single with now not very many male prospects around. And she began to talk about her fears related to never getting married. And her concerns and the temptations that she faced at times because she wasn't sure if she ever would get married. And I remember walking beside her, kind of white as a sheet, going, I don't know what I'm supposed to say to this. But I remember so clearly the fact that she talked about real issues and the hope and the faithfulness of Jesus no matter what. It was years later when I was a missionary to Croatia that uh, a mentor, a woman that was discipling me, came to visit. She talked to me again about something that was real and messy in her life. She told me about her husband's brain tumor and about the chronic illness of her child. And she talked about it not as in the, like, I'm a super saint, I can handle this, but in the reality of where is God in this? I don't see him, but he is still good. Those two instances will never leave me. That they were influencing me about the value of Jesus. Even though I haven't faced those same issues, I see that he is worth everything, even if the world falls to pieces or you're not really sure what's going to happen in your life. And our influence is huge and that is caught when women are around us. Because we want women to interact with us and leave not thinking that we're really amazing, but that Jesus is, right? That's, that's what our desire is. That it looks so great because he is that great. And it takes courage and grace and deliberate action. When we think about influence, we want to also bring specific advice and input into a woman's life. So when we think about that, this means that we need to be willing to talk about all kinds of topics. So we've talked a little bit about this stage, but these stages, but then also when we think about just what are things that we want to make sure come up in conversations so that we can influence them. Do you guys have ideas? What are things? Do I have to switch mics? Oh, right. Apparently I'm cutting out a lot. Sorry, guys. Right? We want to make sure that we're talking about decisions in her life. Yes, relationships. <clears throat> what else? Selfishness. Yes, selfishness. Habits. Habits. Great. Great. What are scary topics? Topics that we're like, I don't know if I really want to talk about that, but we probably should bring the humans to it. Purity. Purity. Yeah. What else? Death. Did someone say that? Death? Yeah. Addiction. Thank you. Yes. I'm going to put down your suffering to you. I think that goes with death. We need to talk about these things before they happen, I think. It's much easier to talk about them. Bitterness. Yes. Bitterness. Unforgiveness. Right. Wonderful. I mean, I think in my life, I am someone who has a, a, a chronic disorder, and so I live with chronic pain. And there are days when I am not super functional. And thinking about what does that look like in light of the gospel? How do we talk about things like pain when it's hard? And there's not easy answers. 
But there's influence that we need to bring to it. What about things like marriage issues? What about fear and anxiety? What about mental illness? These are not necessarily things that we have answers to. But they're things that we need to say we're not afraid to talk about them. Because they're in the world. And the world is a mess. But Jesus is not afraid for us to engage with them. I think sometimes people have asked me, um, oh, when, when, when do I speak? And when, when am I silent? When do I not respond when it comes to some of these issues? Uh, that's a hard question. When do I just listen and when do I speak? I would definitely say that we always listen if she's speaking about something that's just struggling. If, if it's, I mean, to clarify, if it's gossip and she's talking about something, somebody else, something that someone else is struggling with, then we can cut her off and be like, we probably don't need to talk about this. But if it is about her, something that she is walking through, something that she is struggling with, we always listen. Even if we don't know what to say, even if it's a scary topic. To be honest, we talked about in seminary practicing our smiles of like when our shocked faces. So we be like, we don't look shocked, instead we practice our smile. Like, Tell me more. You know, but even though you're like, oh my goodness, I do not know how to respond to this. But you just listen. You show her that she's welcome. Even if she's talking about something that you're like, wow, that sounds like traumatic. Or, or, or it's some sort of addiction that you have no experience with and you do not know how to address. Oh, we still listen. We listen because we're not afraid to be involved in this relationship. And sometimes in these hard conversations, when it's been something that has been so hard for her, where she feels like God has abandoned her, where she has been alone in this, that God has not shown her love or care in those situations, I think that we show love and care. We show the hands and feet of God before we believe, bring our theology to bring Does that make sense? That if she's, she believes that God is gone in this situation, we show her love and care. We show her that God is not gone before we tell her that God is not gone. We show her first. And then in time, we do tell her about the grace and love of Jesus that is involved in everything, even in those situations. That we can ask eventually, what does is, what is scripture bring to light in these issues? We offer to help them look at scriptures, which we're going to talk about when we talk about teaching more. We refer them to others because sometimes we don't know what to say, but we are involved with counselors and with pastors and other people to help people think through things. And sometimes we move slowly and graciously, even with sin. We think about courageously, graciously, deliberately. We're always deliberate, but I think sometimes we lean towards gracious, and sometimes we lean towards courageous, depending on what's going on. But there are women that I remember this um, one gal who had come to know Jesus recently, and we, she and I were walking down from my office in the church, down this set of stairs that's in the middle of the foyer. And the way our church is laid out, it is a large church, but the, the stairs are in the center. And the way the acoustics work, that whatever you say on these stairs echo through the whole church. So we're walking down these stairs, um, talking about the fact that she has recently put her faith in Jesus. And she begins to talk about how beautiful the grace of God is in her life and how thankful she is. But as she's talking about it, she uses about five expletives in those sentences. And, and it just echoes through the church. And people in the foyer turn, <laughs> and there I am, walking with my friend, and I'm thinking, we'll talk about this way later. <laughs> this is not the time. She is so excited about what Jesus has done. And she has other things going on in her life. She's living with a man, has been for a year, or ten years, has three kids with him. There's a lot that we need to talk about. But we're gracious, and we move slowly as she follows Jesus. <clears throat> There's another woman whose sexual struggle, her, her sexual addiction has been something that she has turned to over and over again in her life, and she does not believe that it's possible for her to We walk slowly and graciously There's a woman who, whose prejudice is so ingrained because of things that have happened in her life, she cannot imagine forgiveness or kindness towards a certain group of people. 
It is so alien, as if from another planet, for her to even imagine that, because of what has happened. We walk graciously and consistently speaking the truth. And there's also times when our, we use our influence quite courageously to call out sin. Because sometimes we do not want to talk about sin. We do not want to call our sisters to repent. But that is exactly what we need to do at times. When someone tells you that you know that they are a Christian, they claim to be it, and, and live it, and you know that they are, when they care about whether or not they want to honor Jesus, and when they know that what they're doing is wrong, when those things are true, then I think we can be very courageous, lovingly speaking the truth, kindly, but also saying, oh, sister, turn from this. And our influence moves into courage. This is exactly what Jesus did. We look at his example, the way that he engaged with people. He's so gracious with some, and he's very strong with others, right? We see that because of what's happening in those people's hearts. You see a pattern of where people are at and the way that he engages with them. So we do the same thing as we do. We walk courageously, graciously, and deliberately. So far, we've been talking mostly about intentionality in our conversations, wanting to influence and wanting to love them. But I think this last one, teach, is also really important for us because there's, there's information that we need to talk about as well. That we almost, and this one is where we get really deliberate, because I think that this is where I'd encourage you to talk to a gal about, hey, do you want to study something with me? Do you want to study something with me for four sessions? We want to be careful not to like invite them into something that lasts forever. We're not asking them to marry us. We're like, would you want to meet with me four times to study something? I encourage you to read the Bible with others. Because if you read the Bible yourself, I bet you can read the Bible with someone else. And the, we are not making disciples of ourselves, right? Oh gosh, that would go really poorly. We are making disciples of Jesus, so we want to point them here so that they can be a woman who for the rest of her life can meet with God and the Word that the Spirit uses to teach and correct and inspire and encourage. We want to help her understand this. And to be honest, this can be challenging. You and I, if you've been reading your Bible for more than a few months, I bet that you do interpretation in your head without even realizing it. You read that passage about Jesus washing feet and you're not disgusted because you understand a little bit of the cultural context. When you read the word Pharisee, you don't go, I have no idea what that means. You understand the difference between a gospel and an epistle and a prophet, probably. People need some help sometimes to read the Bible. There's a great book called One-to-One Bible Reading. Any of you heard that? Read that book? Anybody? Oh, great. I know that Kari said that she would have bought Master Plan of Evangelism for everyone, which I would have seconded. But the other one that I would buy for everyone is One-to-One Bible Reading. I think it is $8. It's not expensive. It's written by David Helm. And don't worry, it's short. It's like 70 pages, and it's really small. And it's, it's really just to tell you, you can do this. You can read the Bible with someone else. And then it gives you practical steps on how to do it. Questions to ask. How to help you see that every passage leads you through an interpretation of what the Bible says and how it leads you to Jesus. Oh, it's great. One-to-one Bible reading. And I use that method with women all the time. I usually will bring them to the book, the book of John. If they've never read the Bible before, or if they've uh, jumped around but never really been through a full book, I, I want them to know Jesus. I want them to see who he is. So we start with John. It's 21 chapters. Sometimes we break it up into three sections. We go seven chapters at a time and we bust through it. Sometimes we go three chapters at a time and we do seven sessions. Depends on what's going on. But we see over and over again that Jesus offers himself as life, right? Through John. Over and over again. And then we walk through the book of Ephesians. Because it shows what the church is and who we are as Christians. Just like Cardi was saying, who before do is crystal clear in Ephesians. The truth of who we are comes before what the commands of what we're called to do. And it grounds us in the gospel before we act. But even as we think about scripture, which I would say, yes, we definitely teach that. Topics come up that we often want to teach specifically but how the gospel and scripture comes to bear it. 
We want them to see that there are gospel implications for everything in life. That you and I don't have all the answers as we brainstorm challenging topics, but we are willing to say that the gospel still brings hope. That there is a truth about what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have done in your life that brings you hope. That when we think about these stages, we've talked a little bit about what we would teach a follower. Let's, let's talk a little bit more about the, the things that we want to teach a grower. We've talked about things that we want to influence, and this list might look similar and have some overlaps for influence. But, I mean, I think even over here, I'm gonna, I would say straight out, we don't just influence on sexuality, we teach on sexuality. Because all of us who follow Jesus submit our sexuality to Jesus. In marriage or not in marriage, all of us do. And then there's a lot in this world that's being said about it, and there's a lot that's being said in the scriptures. I, when women are struggling with sexual addiction, there is hope from a gospel implications that they are no longer enslaved to anything, that they can get out. And that is one huge gospel implication for any addiction. And there's power, that they're no longer stuck, that God gives help. That doesn't mean that we don't get other help as well, don't misunderstand that God is not abstracting away from those kinds of things that we're struggling with. When we think about anxiety, that we don't just, that while we may need to talk about physical things and encourage a gal to see a doctor, because sometimes there's other things going on physically, but there are also gospel implications for anxiety about who God is in the midst of it. That how we are available and willing to teach about what is true about fear, what is true about the world, what is true about who we are and the power that we have, and how God is present. Things the gospel brings to bear on things like that as well. What are other things that we want to specific topics for a grower that we want to teach on? What do you think? Anger. Anger. Great. What else? Provision, like oh, so like giving. Yes. Someone said something else, but I didn't hear it. Marriage. Marriage. Yes. Forgiveness. Yep. Yeah. Do you mean between us and God, or us and other people? What were you thinking? Other people. Other people. Good. Serving. Yeah. Serving. What can you flesh that out for me? What do you mean by serving? Um, I think uh, just helping teaching them um, helping them love and serve the yes. Yeah, that's straight scripture. Yeah. And for God's work to happen together. Yes. Yes. Great. What else do we teach? Yeah, identity. Mm-hmm. Even some of what, um, sorry, I can't like, spell correctly and talk at the same time. It doesn't all work. Um, even what Kari was saying about oh, the identity that we've been given in Jesus because of the identity that Jesus had. Oh, beautiful. Yes. Those are things that we need to teach straight out of scriptures. That we show them that this, that this applies to them. That because of what Jesus has done, it changes. Anybody else? True. Yeah. Reconciliation. Pray. Did you say that again? Pray. Pray. Yes, I think that there's a lot about prayer that we need to teach. Teach about what, what does it look like to pray, but also what is God doing when, when we pray? Does He respond? Is He available? And there's so much in the Old Testament that I think God so clearly shows us these examples of how He responds to the prayers of His people that we need to be responding to and seeing the human. Depression is a big one. I think, but even in this, we, yes, we think about depression, we think about hope, we think about our children and families. What does it look like for our expectations for them? What do we do when life hits the fan? Where is God in there? And I think there are scriptures that come to bear on that as well. We talk about all kinds of topics. We're courageous because we believe that God is willing to address everything. 
There are times when we may not have answers, and uh, I don't always have answers. And I remember really clearly times when Tammy didn't have answers. When she, I would ask her a question and she would say, I don't know, you should go find out. <laughs> and it was good for me. And then, and then, and that sounded really harsh. She didn't mean it harshly, but she was pushing me. But there's times, I think, when we need to think about, okay, if I don't know how to teach about this, what are resources that I can look into to teach? But I believe that there are probably pastors in your lives, women in ministry, that there are books that come to the Verity Fellowship Conference, we have, coffee, we have workshops on discipleship, come and learn and engage and think about what does it look like to be able to teach on some of these things that maybe I've learned, but I don't know how to teach on it. That's okay, we all learn to do that. As we continue to do this, we recognize that all of this rests on what God has already done with Jesus Christ. That the reason why we can be courageous is because we believe that the gospel has changed me and it can change this gal from me. And there's hope for her, no matter what has happened. <clears throat> That she can be redeemed, that she can know God Himself, and that really she has been made to know Him. And that's what she's been longing for. That's why we can be courageous. We can be gracious because we know that, but for the grace of God, we would be in any similar situation. That we are no better than anybody else. There's no hierarchy in this. That's what Jesus taught us when He washed feet. He, as King of the universe, bowed below to serve and love. So, as we disciple others, we do it graciously, not with judgment, but recognizing that, oh, the grace of God that has changed me is offered to you as well. And we can do it deliberately because we are women on mission. We know that God has done this and called us to it and that the rest of our lives keep us busy. But at the end of the day, when we stand before Jesus, these are the things that we're going to be thinking about. How do we do this with our children? How do we do this with our neighbors? How do we do this with the woman who sits next to me at church? How do we engage on a, a journey of discipleship with others? Because all disciples of Jesus are disciple makers. This is our journey. And it might be that you are in one of these stages and you disciple someone in the stage behind you, or you disciple someone along a peer discipleship relationship. You walk alongside together, growing together. Oh, God brings it in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and it's great. But we step out to do this. Father God, we are so thankful that you are the God on the mission that came after us. We're thankful for your grace that has changed our lives. That because of Jesus, we have hope. Oh, Lord, we are so thankful. And I pray that as these women leave, that you would put people on their hearts today. People that they are called to engage with, to love, to influence, and to teach. That they would be able to do it courageously and graciously and deliberately. And God, that in months we can come back together and see the way that communities and spheres of influence have changed because we step out in faith. God, would you save women because of our mouths? Would you do that through us? Would we be able to see people come into the kingdom because you've been pursuing them and we step alongside and get to be involved? I pray that women would not feel alone in their journey of sanctification because women in this room would step alongside them. I pray that messy situations where people would be afraid to not only talk about it, but that these women would step in and talk about it and say there's grace and love from Jesus here. And there's power from the gospel for you to be set free here. God, would you empower us to do this by the Holy Spirit. May you be given all of the glory because we love you. And we pray this in Jesus' power. Thank you, Tim.